From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, Michael and Adam are back to discuss whether or not it's a good idea to add innovation companies into your portfolio. It did turn into a conversation about what innovation actually is. In other words, what are the characteristics of the classification we're looking to add here? But the conversation, per usual, was nothing short of informative and a lot of fun. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast each and every week. Please email us with any questions, concerns, or suggestions for future episodes at podcast at assetbuilder.com. Okay, without further ado, let's get to the show. Morning, gentlemen. How are y'all doing today? Back in the saddle. I'm we are, excited. We are all together. How's it feel to be looking at me again? It's kind of like uh, a date with an ugly dude. Ugly? I, uh, I did my hair for no. you, dude. I mean, yeah. the mustache is on point. As someone that can't grow a mustache, I'm a What happened to jealous. the bottom of your chin? Is that intentional? What's that now? Are you talking <laughs> about this? The scruff? Are I don't you know trying? if you can hear this on the mic, but that's my scruff. It's rather limited. Um, I've gotten a little lax in the quarantine. I like it. But I'm excited to be back. It's really nice to uh, actually be able to look at the people that I'm talking to. So what are we talking about today, Jared? Today we're going to talk about uh, innovation, investing in innovation, and should we include it in your portfolio? Michael Uh, has one position, mm -hmm. I have another, and Adam has another too. Okay. So So this is a question that we've gotten from people. This is actually a a question that we've gotten from clients where they said, hey, can I invest in an innovation fund? Right. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to address it. What is your response normally? Well, can I just... No. I asked Michael. (laughs) Go ahead, Adam. I forgot how to do this in person. I'm nervous. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) What do you want to say, Adam? Yeah. Well, what does that even mean? Yeah. So one of the things that I think uh, we... I think a lot of times these questions come up for one of two reasons. And the one thing that I think is interesting is uh, fund companies can sometimes create a question by developing a product. So for instance, Fidelity has a suite of innovation funds. I believe that's called Fidelity Innovation Funds. And so somebody can can look at those and you're like, wow, I'd like to invest in that because it's the hot new thing. And so the question that we have may have have been spurred from that. The other thing is you have uh, circumstances where, for instance, as we've all been aware for the last several months, uh, everybody, every pharmaceutical company in the world is trying to create a vaccine for COVID-19. We would consider that innovation and you think about it in in innovative terms. And so I, I think that some of what uh, what the reason people are asking are just probably one of those two reasons. Uh, so people are asking, Hey, have you heard of these funds and should I invest in them? They seem like a good idea. So this is in con. So innovation is a quote growth. Would you call it a growth fund? Yeah. It's a growth style. Yeah. So if you looked, I mean, we, we talk about this a lot, value versus growth. Right. Um, if you, if you looked at funds that are marketing themselves as innovation funds and you went to the Morningstar chart, 
Morningstar has a grid and it's you're either value, growth, large, small. So top to bottom, you're small to large, left to right, you're value, growth. If you looked at these companies, they would be larger companies typically and to the right, they would be growth, larger growth. Sometimes they're mid growth, but they're almost always growth. And Mm -hmm. so we, you know, could walk through again what the difference is between value and growth. But one of the things that you're uh, usually advocating for in these funds is that companies are going to have higher future earnings than they do today. That's one of the things that you would be betting on. So uh, the question that, that people are wanting to answer is, hey, should I invest in large mid cap growth companies? Uh, should that be kind of a focus of my portfolio or should I have some of it in my portfolio? Uh, and that's a question that we're, we're trying to answer. Right. Adam, so you as a value investor, do you like that idea? Do you think that we should have some growth, as it were, in our portfolio? Yes, I do. Um, uh, Specifically innovation? Well, so let me just kind of list out. So there's a number of you know, popular innovation funds out there. Michael mentioned the uh, Fidelity funds. ARK Invest is another one. And, and if you look at the actual holdings, like I'm just going to read some of these. So if you look at ARK Invest holdings, here are just a, a smattering of them. Tesla, okay, right. that's fine. Square Inc., which is the payment processing company roku okay the streaming platform zillow lending tree inc teledoc health uh let's see here we've got spotify um taiwan semiconductor manufacturing now what what are you what's the common thread there like what are you noticing about those companies i would say they're cool okay (laughs) right (laughs) well yeah cool right and and you're a young person so cool meaning in other words tech Right. Or at least tangentially related to tech in the form of the semiconductor holding, right? So I would make the argument, like, is there really something novel about calling something an innovation fund? Or is that just a fancy marketing term these fund companies have put on something that really is just overweighting to the FANG type stocks? Like it. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I would, I would disagree with Adam from the perspective that. I think Adam makes a good point that if you said, what are we investing in when we invest in innovation? Today, we think of it as technology, but I'm not sure that that is accurate. Um, because if you think about, for instance, Amazon, when, when, if you go back in the day and you say, I'm going to invest in Amazon, well, what are you really investing in? You're investing in a consumer stock. Amazon competes, I would argue, with Walmart more than Amazon competes with Microsoft. And so I look at Microsoft as a pure technology play. I look at a lot of these companies that are innovative as technology applied to a real world problem. And the real world problem might be uh, transportation. It might be drilling for oil. It might be creating new energies. And so I think it's sometimes overly simplistic if we just say it's technology, because I agree it is technology, but the application of the technology is what makes a real innovation, I would argue. Okay. So I don't disagree with Adam that all of these companies are innovating 
in ways that apply technology. I think what's important is to look at, uh, let's say two companies back in the day, um, when you suddenly had the ability to geolocate a phone. Mm -hmm. Okay. All that was, was the ability for me to know where Adam was at any moment. Somebody took advantage of that when they created a ride share app that said, Hey, Adam, since I know where you are and I can track all of these cars, I'm going to help you get a ride somewhere in a way that yellow cab wasn't doing right. Yellow cab was years behind. Right. They, you had to call them and say, come pick me up at this time at this place. Yeah. So the person who created the geolocator or the, the ability to know where you are, uh, that was great, but in and of itself, it didn't necessarily provide a lot of value until somebody said, this is how we're going to use that functionality. Right. Uh, last night, uh, if I said, hey, I want to find a hotel and I go to Priceline, Priceline knows where I am. Priceline knows what my shopping history is, but they've done the same thing with the geolocator. They're like, you mean based on where you are, based on the fact that you're in Dallas, here, we'll help you find a hotel room. Uh, so I would argue that some of these things are communication, some of them are energy, some of them are consumers, um, healthcare, utilities. All of those those funds are, um, are, or the innovation funds are playing in all of those spaces. I would argue. So how how full of um, innovation companies are in the S and P? Would you would you imagine? Would you call the S and P an innovation fund? I think the top end of it is. And that's kind of what I'm arguing is that if you look at these innovation funds, not 100%, but there's a lot of overlap between the upper end of the S&P, like the top 25, 30 holdings, and what are in these innovation funds. And it also happens that, as we've discussed, I think on the last episode or maybe two episodes ago, we've discussed it in recent history on this podcast, the, the attribution of performance in the S&P 500 is incredibly right. top-weighted. Yep. So it doesn't surprise me that these innovation funds are, they have really impressive performance. I guess the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, so what are we actually targeting here? Or, or like, are we targeting companies that we think are innovative or are we just targeting really large companies? Yeah, so, so uh, what I did, so I think there's- Because a, like, for instance, like MasterCard is ubiquitous in these innovation funds. Is MasterCard innovating? Yeah. Or do they just have an incredibly defensible position where they're going to be able to, I would argue today they're not innovating. Now, could they take advantage of whatever the next thing is in payments and implement it? Yeah. But I, so, I don't know. So I guess uh, look at um, somebody, uh, might have been Peter Thiel. I don't, I don't want to say it was Peter Thiel, but a well-known investor made an argument a couple of years ago that Google was no longer innovative. And their argument was, look at the amount of cash that Google has. Google is simply buying whatever they like, but they themselves are not innovating. Right. So now, if Adam said, same thing applies to MasterCard. I don't know that I would argue against that or that I would argue against it with Google. What I would say is having enough cash that you can identify innovation and then go buy it and same integrate it result. into what you're doing might still qualify as innovation. So for instance, the, the, Franklin, the Franklin Fund, uh, the Dynamex Fund, 
it basically looks and it says, okay, where is there a difference in the way that people pay for things? So in the United States, we have traditionally paid with cash or credit card. In large parts of the world, people pay with their mobile phone. Um, you go to lots of places in Africa and there is, there is simply not necessarily a banking system, but people have a balance on their phone um, that they can transfer to somebody else. Today, we think of Apple Pay kind of as the same thing. Uh, it's not actually. You know, your Apple Pay is tied to a, a bank account. Right. But they would, so if MasterCard says, hey, we want to play in this space and we want to go to, you know, sub-Saharan Africa where there are not a lot of banking entities and we want to provide payment services in a unique way, they can do that. And all of a sudden, MasterCard is competing with the telecom industry in Africa. Now, are they doing that? And is it the most innovative thing in the world? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that I would argue against Adam and say MasterCard is super innovative. But what I would say is that the way that we have traditionally paid for things, um, you know, cash, a cash register, for instance, the person who was married to uh, the, the construction of cash registers, if you were like, you know, investing in a company back in 1960 and you were like, cash registers will always be a thing. Fast forward 50 years and they're not. I mean, right. everybody has a cash register, but it is not the way most pro payments are processed. Right. So I, I think that when you look at a company like MasterCard and say, well, okay, they're going to have to change or die. Yes, they will. Um, I don't know what the percentage is. I didn't look it up, but what percentage of Walmart uh, shopping is now done online right. as they've had to pivot and compete even outside of COVID had to compete with Amazon. How are they doing that? Um, I think Walmart, in order to survive, is going to have to look a lot more like Amazon mm -hmm. than Amazon is going to have to look like Walmart. Amazon has a ton of money, and they haven't right. started going around the country opening big box stores. They could, but they I don't would want agree. to. I just feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm just having a semantics problem that I can't get past. Maybe I just have a problem with the term innovation. Let's be real. At this point, Amazon is a blue chip stock. It yes. is not... I wouldn't even compare it to like Tesla in the sense that there's still a lot of risk associated with Tesla. At this point, Amazon could start turning a profit at any point if they wanted to. So is your, is your, I mean, for both of you, it sounds like maybe what you're saying is innovation should only happen in small companies. Once you're too big, no, no matter what Coke does to innovate, you can't, I, I think you could change the name of these of innovation profits. funds to hypercap funds. Hyper cap funds. Like just the oh, biggest of the big. Yeah, yeah, and that's no. really what you're buying. So there's some there's some correlation between being really big because because again, market cap is is largely a reflection of consumer sentiment. So I'm not arguing that these companies aren't innovating. I'm arguing that maybe a more precise way to capture innovation is letting the market tell you which companies are doing a good job innovating, which would be in this day and age, it would seem really big like super large cap companies because otherwise then what you're risking is right. Like let's say you have, um, because to me, when you say innovation fund, that, that communicates to me, the goal of this fund is to identify companies that are like on the bleeding edge of new trends. 
Okay. Well, They're that's, innovating. That's why I wanted to ask Michael there. So are you talk, when you're talking about adding it to your portfolio, are you talking about picking specific companies that you think are going to be innovative, or are you talking about investing in one of these indices that you found? No, I, I would say, I, well, there's not really an innovation index. I would say investing in a fund. Definitely. For sure. But, but because otherwise, what are you doing? So let's take ARK Invest is, right. is a company where the founder is a lady who's been in, in, in this industry since the early 80s, has a great track record. And I actually, uh, I actually uh, respect and admire a lot of what they do. Um, it is outside of what we traditionally do as a firm. And so this is not, I want, I want to be careful that I'm not advocating for something or trying to sell people on something. I'm simply saying that I have an enormous amount of respect and have done a lot of research on what they do and believe that they um, offer something that's unique. Mm -hmm. The people who work for her are well-qualified, very um, specific kind of set of skills that they have that would allow them to identify opportunities that if you're sitting around at home and just reading a bunch of articles, uh, I wouldn't suggest that you're going to be able to identify who's coming up with the next genome sequence. <laughs> right. I, I don't think you can. Yeah, you don't I have your it, ear to the ground. You don't have your, your you're not talking to the right people. Mm-hmm. Now, they are active investors. Um, yeah. I, they've done some interesting things, like some 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 funny commercials actually making fun of people who do uh, who do index investing. And so, uh, you know, I mean, they, they get a lot of stones thrown at them because of their kind of smirky cocky attitude, right. which I mean, maybe it's because I'm a smirky cocky person who lives in a house full of smirky cocky people. I, to me, it's like having dinner with my family when I watch their commercials. Um, and so what, what I would say is if you're sitting around and you're like, well, I really like this company here. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, go invest in it, but don't bet your house on it. The other thing I would you know, I would argue is I'm, I'm not suggesting that anybody s- suddenly become a active investor or a strictly large cap growth investor. What what we know is that historically, over time, investing in value companies historically provides you with a better return. What we know is that right. over time, if you invest in small companies, they outperform large companies. So what's different here? What I would say is that when you're looking at innovation, and, and it's, it's, it's simply an open question. If you're looking at innovation, do you maybe have to be a little more active in what you're looking for? Because you're going to ask yourself, well, hey, um, well, because indexing is market cap and market cap doesn't care about innovation. Right. So if so, you're looking for innovation, you can't just look at market cap. So if you looked at, for instance, the ARC portfolio, what's their number one holding? Tesla. Why is it not one of the FANG stocks? If it was simply mm-hmm. following the market, uh, Square, Invede, Roku, all the things that, that Adam named if you look at their top 10 holdings, you don't have a real market cap weighted fund. They have proactively gone out and said, this is what we believe in. Right. Now, you, you do have to look, and historically, 
one of the things that we tend to think of is innovation is new. Well, no, it's not. Like what was innovation back in the 1920s? Back to your point of innovation does not equal technology. Right. Technology might be new relatively, right. but innovation is certainly not. Right. So back in the day, Ford Motor Company was a technology, a technological innovation. Well, there were a lot of car companies that you've never heard of that didn't make it. And so if you were back in the day trying to pick who ultimately was going to win, you might not have been able to do it. If you were just out there choosing a car, but if you were betting on the fact that the technology of automobile transportation was going to grow, you probably would have been pretty successful. So my only, uh, my only argument for this would be, well, we do know that people are always innovating and we do know that, uh, innovation eventually, uh, can come in many different forms and be applied in many different ways. So I, I think, so Jared, you asked, you know, basically Michael said, well, small cap stocks historically outperform and grow more than large cap stocks, which is very well documented and passes the sniff test as a logical thing to say. You said, so what's different here? And I think part of it, there, there is this underlying trend over the last decade and arguably over a decade because, I mean, and again, I know innovation historically does not equal technology, but in the recent past, certainly either technology products themselves or the implementation of technology, right? The iPhone is a product. Mm. They sell a physical product, but this product is really an amalgamation of a ton of technological development. That's expensive. Right. Tesla is expensive to do. Like that, it takes, it requires a ton of capital. If you're Google, if you're Uber, the upfront fixed cost to develop that technology before you can ever offer any product or service is incredibly high. So what that means is you need to be either someone or a entity with a lot of cash. That's why it's like, for example, right? Facebook is the social network in that space that they dominate. I think years ago, you could have had a contender in that space in the form of Instagram. But what happened? Facebook bought Instagram. Right. So the big get bigger. <clears throat> so you could argue that their acquisition of Instagram was a perfect example of Facebook innovating in the form of being able to identify what's next and get out in front of it and buy it. So right. the, it, that feedback loop right, of already successful tech companies because they are so profitable, something like Apple, they generate so much cash that that feedback loop of buying the next innovation and rolling it into, you know, bringing it under the umbrella is going to have this feedback loop of potentially we do see innovation start to focus more and more in big companies just because innovation via technology is inherently a very expensive proposition. I agree with that. I agree that, that, I mean. And not to mention, you're just seeing fewer and fewer IPOs because I think you're seeing so many acquisitions. Like the goal now, yeah. if you're a venture funded company is not to go public and become the next Apple. The goal yeah. is to get bought by Apple. Yeah. yeah. So I think I, 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 I agree with that. And that gets back to the whole, at the beginning, Google just has a lot of cash sitting around. And so people argue, Hey, you should start paying a dividend. And Google would say, why would we pay a dividend? We can go out and buy the next innovation. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's just, you know, this argument of whether or not they should give you the money so you can go find the next innovation, or do you trust Google to essentially go out and find the next innovation? That's the question. Um, I, I do think that 
I agree with Adam from the perspective that, uh, so COVID, there was a ton of money to be made if you came up with a vaccine. I know a lot about needles because I've gotten some shots before in my life. It would have been pointless for me to have gone out and tried to find and innovate and create the next vaccine. Why? Uh, Because I'm a moron who knows nothing about vaccines other than I get a flu shot when I remember every year. So if you took, uh, if you took bets back in March, who, who do you think is going to find the vaccine? And you had laid odds. I bet you would have laid odds on companies that are pretty well known. Like, I don't know, say Pfizer surprise, Merck surprise, Johnson and Johnson. Oh, shocker. It, why? Well, because they're big, they're prepared. They're able to throw a lot of resources at something who would you not have bet on like a gazillion to one that adam doesn't come up with a vaccine why uh because adam knows those words i have an announcement (laughs) (laughs) but but also because adam even if he was a scientist and you know had a phd and whatever I don't think I'd bet on Adam if he was a doctor, if he was a virologist, a guy sitting in his, you know, mm-hmm. basement That's only cooking one, up stuff. one part of the problem. I don't have the resources to test and yeah. to get the and data. So, and so I agree with, with Adam from the perspective that, hey, large companies always have an advantage. The other thing I think that- When it comes to innovation. When it comes to innovation. Now, the other thing that I think we do have to deal with is- um, it, it became an issue during the last election. Uh, maybe it still is an issue where people say, well, wait a minute, are some of these companies just too big? Do they control too much? Um, I think that's a fair question. I asked somebody yeah. the other day about Minds. Minds.com is a social media platform that is, you know, it's, it's more crowdsourced. It's more uh, open source. And so there's a lot more... Uh, there's a lot more junk on it maybe than there is on Facebook, but there's also a lot more free flowing ideas. And the reason I was asking is I was like, no, it's kind of interesting to me that Twitter decides who is allowed to say something and who is not. Um, and the, who gets to say what can change from day to day. So Mm -hmm. for instance, when, when we had the whole wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. And uh, you were only allowed to have this one opinion, but the opinion could shift from week to week. Um, it seems to me that as, as a country, now this is going to be different in other countries, but we tend to believe that more people should have a voice rather than right. fewer. And to uh, be fair, that, that statement in history typically meant a vote. You could replace yes. the word everyone should have a voice with everyone should have a vote. Right. It wasn't, I don't think anyone ever foresaw that everyone could actually have like an actual voice. A voice, yeah. <laughs> and that and makes so, it a little more so, complicated. Now, here's the thing though. If everybody gets to have a voice, do you as a consumer need to pay attention to who you're listening to and, and go through a filter? Yes, it puts a lot more on you as a consumer of information. Um, this is all kind of getting off the topic, but I think that what, when I look at it and I say, Hey, what I would want ideally to have happen, uh, I would want, if I was an investor to have an opportunity to have a portion of my portfolio allocated to, uh, potential growth 
in the future. And, right. and when I think about things that are going to grow, this would be my ultimate argument for why a portion of your investment needs to be okay. invested in things that are large, large cap growth, is that growth is not going to occur just because you sat there and watered something that was. It's going to occur because you have something that wasn't and now is. Mm-hmm. And so where does that innovation today, where is that innovation coming from based on you know the laws that are in place and the structure of our economy that is coming from large and mid-cap companies? And so having a portion of what you're invested in exposed to those segments makes sense to me as an investor. And I think that people uh, should have a diversified portfolio that allows them to experience some of that growth. Like true innovation is like, like I can name on one hand companies that have truly been like paradigm shifting. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would say windows is one. I would say like Ford motor company is another. I would say, um, I think you could argue Amazon probably. Actually, I would say Google just because of the way they kind of organize the internet. But companies that truly shift the way the economy works Mm -hmm. and how business is fundamentally done, that's like a once in a lifetime thing. And very few people see it coming, if anyone. Now, these companies are, while they're innovative, they're known, right? So we know what Tesla does. They're fairly late in the game of becoming a business. And so identifying these companies really, really early on is going to be difficult to do repeatedly. Right. And really on, they're small. Right. Exactly. And second of all, I think there's a lot of these companies that even though they're innovative, just being first doesn't mean you're going to be the successful one. There's a long list of companies that were first into a space and guess what they did? They showed everyone else exactly what not to do. And then the second and third and fourth players to the game corrected those mistakes and they were the ones that captured all the value from that innovation. So I think that's something that over the long term I'd like to see these funds kind of navigate is how do you account for that, right? What if Tesla and obviously to date Tesla's proven that they that there is a desire for that product, there's a market for it and it seems, you know, transportation's moving in that direction. Yeah. But would it at all surprise me that a company like Ford or GM has a technological breakthrough and all of a sudden their batteries can get twice what Tesla's can, and guess what that would do to Tesla's price overnight. So I'm not saying that the the strategy is bad. I'm saying don't put 100 percent of your money in it. There, there, there's yeah. there's holes well, in it. There's hole, no, I, no. I know. I'm saying there's holes in it that you would want to be prepared for. Right. Should they occur? If you, I, I, I think if you went and you said, okay, well, this is like investing or putting my money, my chips in. If I had 100 chips and I go play play roulette. I'm not going to put all of my chips on a single number. What Adam's point is those companies, when they hit, it's like having a single number. You're not betting on red or black. You're not saying, uh, maybe this or that you're saying specifically, this is going to be a big deal. And that's what you're saying about innovation. And that's what I'm saying about innovation is that, is that you are putting some money on, I believe this innovation, I believe the innovation is going to occur here. What I would argue is, no, you don't take all your chips and put them on number 27, right. you know, because I like it. Um, you don't put all of your money into Tesla. And, and I think one of the things that Adam said that, you know, you kind of want to be aware of is, 
Tesla uses parts that are made by other companies that are also innovative. And those companies you've never heard of. Right. Those companies are making, you know, products and widgets and switches and gizmos and gadgets that are going to allow innovative companies to do a lot better, right. and, you know, perform better. Um, but you've never heard of them and you're not necessarily, they're not being talked about on Bloomberg or CNBC. They're not in the Wall Street Journal unless you're back on page 17. And those are companies that you're also going to want to own, which again goes to my point of use a fund. Don't try mm -hmm. and do this on your own. Don't try and go out and do your own research and think, oh, I've identified something great. Um, mm -hmm. Unless it's just, you know, kind of your thing. That's how you want to spend your retirement. So. Which always gets us back to, you know, I, I like to try to tie anything we talk about. You know, we're talking about specific funds here, but very few people should be invested in a single fund. Right. Okay. Much less a single stock or single bond or whatever. So the idea here is, I, I do believe, even as someone that is a, a value fan, I do believe there's a lot of data out there that shows, you know, large cap could hold a lot of growth moving forward. I think that's valid. So I think it's valid to put yourself in a fund that would stand to capture a lot of that. I think there's, there's an argument to be made that you could include a innovation fund in your portfolio. But the key is, as always, don't invest in something that will do well in a environment. All right. Unless you're an active manager or unless you're Warren Buffett, if you're one of the few, fine. Or if it's your hobby, fine. For 99% of investors, build a portfolio that is going to, most of the time, outperform the benchmark in all economic cycles. Because your faith and your ability to predict where you're going to fall and where you're going to get in and where you're going to get out in that ongoing economic cycle should be very low. Like You should put very little faith in your ability to time that correctly. Uh, Michael, what would be Warren Buffett's response to your argument? Because he's isn't he like a pure index investor? Like, don't even look at it, don't touch it. He's actually well. My interpretation of of how he views things, like when he makes the bets with hedge funds and and says you can't outperform, I don't think he would say nobody can outperform because in any given year, some people are outperforming, some people are underperforming. Like the index is never the the winner. The winner. Right. And, and so I think what he would say is that over time you can't consistently, uh, but I don't think that, I don't think that he would look at innovative companies and say, or I don't think he would look at large companies and say they can't innovate or look at innovative companies and say, um, they aren't worth the price that you're paying. Um, I think that, I think people tend to, again, I hate trying to interpret what other people are saying. I'm not sure that when people look at Warren Buffett and say he's a pure value investor, that that is an accurate uh, assessment of his investment philosophy. I'll leave yeah. it at that. I, I think what most people underappreciate about Warren Buffett is he holds stuff for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really like half the battle when it comes to getting positive returns, is like just holding it. Right. Yeah. So, so if you looked at Warren Buffett and you said, well, does Warren Buffett make plays over very long periods of time? And is he right? Yes. And so when he makes, you know, when he makes statements uh, and, and it's like, hey, over the next five years, I don't think X, Y, and Z, Warren Buffett's got a, you know, historically has had a 20, 30 year time horizon that he's investing for, which is smart. Mm -hmm. 
for a lot of individuals, if you're 70, you know, hopefully uh, 30 years from now, you're still here, but you might not necessarily have a 20, 30 year time horizon based on your age. Um, if you're investing your kid's college fund, they certainly aren't going to be in school in college 20 years from now if they're, you know, five, unless your kids are not well motivated. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, there's a limit to, there's a time horizon for a time horizon for a lot of investments. And so that's also to Adam's point, that's a huge difference, right? Like for people who are like getting in, getting out, thinking that you're going to know when to get in, when to get out, you're, you're probably not, uh, the best economists in the world aren't, aren't good always right or always good at it. So, so if we had a, s- sum our point here today for our listeners, my point would be if you have a diversified portfolio and as part of your diversification strategy, you want to invest in innovation, what you're going to be looking at is having a fund, make sure that your portfolio includes large cap growth funds. If you're strictly doing index investing, look at large cap growth funds and what you will find is that you're capturing the same style that a lot of the innovation funds are capturing without the mark without having to pay the marketing dollars. If you're interested in looking at some of the active managers, then it would be different. You will find yourself having different holdings and you would need to invest specifically in those funds. But if you're an index investor, looking at large growth gets you a, a long way towards having what um, companies would term as a innovation fund. I agree. I agree. I agree. He says, all right, you guys want to cap that one off? Yeah, I think so. I enjoyed that one. That was a good, good thought exercise for me. Hope it was for everybody else too. It was, it was different than what we would normally do. Yeah. So cool. Thank you guys. We'll see y'all next time. Yep. Thanks. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.